How many of you have experienced or witnessed a miracle in your life? Show of hands. A miracle being something that uh, uh, happened, whether it was you got a check in the mail that you needed desperately, or uh, maybe just something you'd been praying for for a really long time came to pass. But a miracle, something extraordinary where no denying that God intervened in some way. And what I'd like you to do right now in this moment is just take a moment and think about that time. And if you didn't think of something, reflect for just a moment and think about your life and moments where you could say, yeah, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be here today because of this event or that event or, yeah, okay, I could see where God might have been stepping in to help us in a miraculous way there. When me and Shannon were just starting out, uh, like many young uh, newly married couples, we struggled to make ends meet. Uh, It was tough. Um, And so uh, we didn't uh, know a whole lot. Uh, We didn't have very much. Um, I was working full-time for my dad's landscaping company. And then I was also working part-time at our home church uh, leading the, the youth program. And uh, um, we made the decision in that season for Shannon to quit her job and stay home and uh, be with the kids. Uh, And that was a big deal. It was a big deal because we didn't make a lot of money, but we really felt like God was leading us in that direction. Now, we were never really good or successful at budgeting, still probably not the best at budgeting to this day. Um, But we had learned one thing early in our marriage, and that was this, never send me to the grocery store by myself right? Uh, how many men in here uh, uh, can, uh, you know, can, can relate to that? Um, if I go to the grocery store, I will always come back with way more than we needed, and I will always spend way more than I should have spent. And so uh, I went uh, this particular time, Shannon was taking care of all of that in this season, and uh, she was planning out our week, and she had planned out all of our meals, and Got our, sat down to get the grocery list uh, put together. And back then, it was way easier than it is today to go through that list and tally up, right, how much the, the groceries were going to cost. Like right now, we go to the grocery store and we're like, how did it go up that fast? And, you know, there's no way we could figure out how much we're going to spend at the grocery store right now. But back then, you know, back in the 1900s, we could tally up uh, those things, right? We had a pretty good idea before we even left to the grocery store how much it was going to cost. And Shannon had uh, tallied it all up. And what she was hoping was that she'd be able to have enough left over in our budget to get a fresh pineapple. And uh, as she went through the list and tallied everything up, it wasn't looking good. It didn't look like that was going to be possible. Her and our son Kyle, who was about three years old at the time, headed off to the grocery store And while they were shopping, Kyle asked if they could get some bananas. Shannon uh, was like, man, I just, there's no way. I I don't even have enough extra to get the pineapple and not enough for any extras really. And it's super tough to tell our kids no as parents, right? Especially when they're wanting something like bananas. But in that moment, Shannon paused and whispered a prayer Knowing that she didn't have any extras, she said no to the bananas to Kyle and went on to explain that, you know, it's not on the list for this week, buddy, but, you know, next week we'll work really hard and we'll see if we can get bananas on the list. A great teaching moment, right? A moment where uh, we're 
modeling dis, uh, discipline, self-discipline and stewardship with what God has given to us. But I think in moments like this, um, it's really more of a, 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 a lesson for us as parents, right? Certainly more than for uh, a three-year-old. Sh- Shannon left the store that afternoon. She was disappointed. She was a little sad. No pineapples, no bananas. But not long after getting home, after all the groceries had been put away, there was a knock on our door. Shannon went to the door and opened the door, and there was a grocery bag. And inside the grocery bag, among a few other things, as you might imagine, were some bananas and a fresh pineapple. Put those right there, and we'll see if they'll stay there. Now, Shannon never mentioned either of these items to anyone. This conversation that she had had was really within her own thoughts and her, in her own heart about wanting this pineapple. And the conversation was a private one between her and Kyle at the grocery store. A miracle. God heard that whispered prayer. God heard Shannon's thoughts. He, he, he knew what was in her heart. And he revealed himself to that young mom and that three-year-old boy that day. This moment is embedded in our hearts as a family. This moment stands as a reminder that God is still at work. That God does still hear even those whispered prayers. And he moves and he reveals himself to us. In Psalm 77, it says that I cry out to God. Yes, I I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. And the writer goes on to reveal the struggle that he's facing. And that it seems as though God has turned his back on him. Basically, things aren't looking good. But verse 11 turns the script on the despair that the psalmist is wrestling with. And we read this in verse 11. But then I recall all you have done. I recall every goodness, all the good that you have done in my life, O Lord. And the psalmist goes on to recall times where God brought them through difficult times. Pineapples and bananas may not be a big deal to many. But to our family, these items stand as markers of the abundance that God has for us. A reminder that God is still at work and that he still hears our prayers, even those whispered prayers. And much like our miracle... The Bible is full of these moments, moments of God showing us his love, showing us his favor, showing us his grace, his overwhelming, amazing grace. The miracles in our lives like these and in the lives of those around us can serve as reminders. Reminders that we, like the psalmist in Psalm 77, can pause and recall them and find true hope and enduring strength to keep holding on to Jesus. Today I want to take our attention to one of those miracles that we find in the book of John. In John chapter 6, I think it's one of those miracles that many think about when when we talk about miracles in the Bible, right? It's an awesome story of a time when Jesus, being followed by a large crowd, takes a couple of fish and five loaves of bread, and he multiplies it to feed over 5,000 people. It's an amazing moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 1. Now the Bible gives us four accounts of Jesus' life. 
and they come from four different perspectives. So imagine we stop four of you on your way out today and we ask you to give a detailed description of what happened in this building today. How many of you think that those four accounts will be exactly the same? They're not, right? They're going to be very different. They're going to come from very different perspectives. We all have a different uh, angle or a different way that we walk into church even. And as we walk out, how we would describe what happened in here uh, would be very different. And that's the Gospels. That's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're stories. They're depictions of what's happening in Jesus' life. The good news of Jesus. And it starts off with Matthew's story. And it continues to Mark's and then to Luke's. And lastly, John's. Not all of the accounts include all of the same details, but each of them has this story that we find in John chapter 6. And all of them tell us that Jesus and the disciples are trying to retreat to get away from a large crowd to get some rest. And this is what we read in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Jesus had been performing many miracles. His popularity was growing. People wanted to be around him. They, they wanted to see the miracles. Many of them were looking for miracles for themselves or family members or close friends. And Jesus and the disciples are trying to pull away to get a little break and to get a little rest and Mark tells us that there were so many people coming to Jesus and the disciples that they hadn't even had time to to eat and here in John 6 they found a place to retreat to and they sit down to rest but soon this crowd finds them Matthew says that when Jesus saw this crowd approaching them he had compassion on them and he healed the sick and Mark tells us that he started teaching them and think about this scene for a moment Imagine with me that we're sitting on this hillside along the Sea of Galilee. When I think of a sea, I think of a, a pretty big body of water. But this is, this is a really large lake, probably about seven miles wide at its widest point, about the size of Washington, D.C. It's a big body of water. Much like today with the cloud cover, it was likely raining in that season. And several of the accounts tell us that the grass and the hills around the Sea of Galilee were lush and green. We've sat down and we look across the lake. Maybe there's a light breeze blowing and we can see the fishing boats. Off in the distance, along the shoreline, we see the villages and the towns sprinkled along the lake's edge. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's a great place to take a break. Recently, I got away to San Francisco, and I love going to the city. I know a lot of people might not agree with that, but I love going to the city. There's something about the hustle and bustle and life rushing around me that helps me calm down and kind of escape from all of that. And so I walked out one afternoon to Land's End, and that's the point on the south side, on the south end of the entrance to the bay. As you're going into San Francisco Bay, if you were going by boat, Land's Inn is the point on the right. And I got out there and it was super quiet, super peaceful. And from that point, you can sit down along the edge, you're out of the city, you're out in nature, and you can look back and see the Golden Gate Bridge. It stands about two and a half miles or so from that point. You can just barely make out the cars going across 
the bridge. And if you look out across the bay, you can see Sausalito on the other side and you can see the homes and the businesses that are there. You can't see people walking around. It's too far across there. And when I think about the Sea of Galilee and sitting on that hillside that day, that's where my mind goes to, this large body of water that you can see all of this happening all around you. Now, the Sea of Galilee is, is not uh, as populated as the San Francisco Bay, but I love looking at Scripture and, and trying to imagine what it might have been like if we were sitting there that afternoon. What might have been going on if we had the privilege of sitting with Jesus and the disciples. They'd been traveling and Jesus had been stopping along the way to give Bible studies pretty much is what he was doing, right? He's giving these Bible studies, he's teaching people and all these people was like that they felt as though Jesus was speaking directly to each one of them. They were feeling alive. They were sensing the hope of what Jesus was teaching. They were captivated and they couldn't get enough. And to top it off, Jesus had been going around through the crowd and praying for them. And people are being set free from hurts, from pains, from diseases, miracle after miracle. And so naturally, when Jesus finishes the Bible study, they all want to follow, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to get up and follow that and be where Jesus was? This goes on for about three days. And now Jesus and the disciples are tired. And they're hungry. And they're looking for a place to get a break. They figure, hey, if we get in the boat and we travel to the other side, maybe these people will go home. But they didn't. They ran along the lake shore line and chased them down and found out where they were. And here we are as they're sitting down and the crowd's coming around them. It's getting late. We're told that it's the end of the day and the disciples are urging Jesus to send them away so that they can go to nearby villages and find food. But Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them. The disciples have got to be thinking that Jesus has lost his mind. But Jesus is setting up what he already knows is about to happen. He already knows what he's going to do. Listen to what, the, what it says in verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. I love that Jesus turns to Philip and asks him where they can find food. He's inviting Philip and the other disciples to be part of what he already knows is about to happen. Jesus doesn't just jump in and save the day. Now, it's possible that Philip may have had firsthand knowledge of where they could have gotten food. One of the other, uh, uh, one of the other accounts that we read uh, tells us that he was from a town that was likely nearby where they were. So maybe he knew some of the people in the area. Maybe he, he would have been able to go, yeah, we can just go right over here to Bob's farm and we can get some food and, or whatever. But he's looking at this crowd and going, it's impossible. There's no way that we're going to be able to feed all of these people. Philip and Andrew and the other disciples should have had faith to believe that Jesus could in fact feed all of these people. I mean, the reason that they're there that day is because of Jesus' teaching. They're in this place because people have been following him because of all the miracles that they've done. And the disciples have had a front row seat to all of them. 
I get the impression that they're thinking Jesus is crazy, and I certainly would have felt the same way. It's impossible. There's no way that we can feed all of these people, Jesus. We just saw you heal a crippled man, and that's super cool. That was pretty awesome. And if another crippled person comes up here, I've got faith to connect me to that, and I know that you could, and that maybe you would heal them. But looking out across that field, imagine it. I mean, around the room here, there's hundreds of us here today. And sitting on that hillside that day, there were thousands. We're told that the men numbered about 5,000. Some scholars believe there could have easily been over 10,000 counting men, women, and children. And likely closer to 20, given the average size of the family that day, in that, in that time. And here, in the middle of it all, which John is the only one who mentions this, there's a young boy. A young boy who had his lunch with him. In John chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. So I want to take your attention this morning to this young boy. And the lessons that we might be able to learn from him and ask ourselves a few questions as we reflect. We don't know much about him. We don't know how old he is, what he looks like. But we do know that he was following Jesus that day. And we know that he was carrying a small meal with him. Jesus knew what was about to happen. And he knew this young boy was going to be there and that he would have his lunch with him. And Jesus turns to this boy and asks him for his food. He asks him to give him what he had. And the boy trusts him and gives it to Jesus. The first question is this, and you can write this down for number one. Am I trusting Jesus? Am I trusting Jesus? Now, maybe he was just there. Maybe this young boy was just there with his parents. Maybe he didn't have a choice. Maybe mom and dad got up and said, hey, we're heading out. We're going to follow Jesus today, and you're coming along. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he had been sent to town that day. Maybe he lived around that area, and maybe he had been sent to town to pick up the fish and the bread to take home for his family and saw all of the, the crowd and decided to see what the fuss was about. Maybe he just simply had nowhere else to go. But regardless of how he found himself in this place, he was close enough to Jesus that Jesus' closest friends knew he was there. I believe that Jesus was leading him to this place. I believe that God had his hand in all of that, leading him to the place to be at the right place at the right time to not only see this incredible miracle firsthand, but to be invited to participate and to fully trust Jesus. This young boy trusted Jesus and gave up his meal, the meal that he brought. He could have said no. At least that's what I think. I think, yeah, you know, he could have been like, nah, I'm not going to give you my lunch. I mean, who would have blamed him, right? It was his. Like he's probably looking out around the crowd going, out of all these people, I'm the only one that brought any food, right? 
and you want me to give it up? Like how often do we hold back just a little bit, right? If this is me and I had prepared myself and I had my lunch there and I'm looking around going, no, you know, I'll give you some of it, but I've got to eat. And maybe he would have even, uh, you know, argued that, well, no, this is for my family. I got to be responsible uh, and my family needs this. All these people aren't my problem. But that's not what this young boy does. I love how God works in my life. I get excited when I read stories like this and I, I hear testimonies of God moving and, and, and God working in people's lives because it builds up my faith and it encourages me to trust him more. And when I look closer at this miracle, I, I see Jesus connecting with Philip on a personal level, drawing him closer, connecting with Andrew, connecting with the other disciples, revealing more of himself, pulling this boy in, likely this boy's family, and all the people on the hillside. And then fast forward to today, we get this awesome moment where Jesus invites us into this moment where Jesus can reveal himself to us, where we have the opportunity to draw closer to him, to trust him, even in the middle of seemingly impossible odds. Proverbs 3, 5 instructs us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. Jesus invites us to trust him. Trust him in those seemingly impossible situations that we face. Am I trusting him with everything? And maybe you're listening here today and you would say that you've, you have a hard time trusting Jesus. Think, well, how, do, how am I supposed to learn how to trust Jesus? It hasn't worked out for me in all the other situations in my life. One way our trust in Jesus is strengthened is when we are in community with other believers. In community with other believers who are also following Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says that if you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon your life. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 11:1 1, to follow me as I follow Christ. This young boy was following Jesus along with a lot of other people. But there's always two crowds, aren't there? There's always, there's always two places that we're pulled to. In Proverbs 13, 20, it tells us that if we walk with the wise, we'll become wise. And if we associate with fools, we'll get in trouble. It's natural to be influenced by people who we choose to spend time with. There's a saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? Have you heard that one? And I think it's true most of the time. The people that you choose to spend time with will either build you up or tear you down. We really do need to be in community. We need to be in community with other believers. It is where our trust in Jesus can be strengthened. And it's where we can be held accountable and where we can be encouraged. Another lesson that we can take away from this young boy is that he came prepared. The second question is this. You write this down for number two. Am I prepared? Am I prepared? I remember in elementary school being super excited about going on field trips, right? I think pretty much all kids uh, uh, are excited about field trips uh, when they're kids, right? Uh, we got to go to all kinds of super uh, cool places. I grew up in the Bay Area and uh, I got to go to countless zoos and amusement parks and I even saw the Nutcracker in San Francisco. Um, but what I remember loving the most 
about field trips was getting to pack my own lunch. My mom would take me to the grocery store and she'd let me pick out all the stuff for my, my little sack lunch. And I loved it. And that was my favorite. And I would go and get those cheese puffs, you know, the big puffy ones, right? They get all over your fingers. Um, all the young adults think I'm a nut job because I like those, but those are my favorite. I still to this day, Shannon asked me in the grocery store yesterday, you want to get some of those cheese puffs? They're right there. Uh, but I'll eat the whole bag. So no, we didn't get any. Um, but I love cheese. I love salami and cheese still to this day. And I'd get salami and cheese and I'd be able to make my own sandwich. Um, and then the other thing that people think that I'm uh, a nut job for is I really love those cream pies. You know, the ones you can get at the dollar store, 10 for a dollar. Um, I love those things. Those are fantastic. I don't eat them anymore because they're really not good for me, but um, those are my favorite. I get those for my lunch. And then uh, my mom would often let me get a can of Pepsi. That was my favorite drink. She'd let me get a can of Pepsi. I didn't always uh, get soda. And so uh, for field trips, I'd get this can and I'd put it way back in the back of the refrigerator, right? Because I wanted to get it super cold. Um, and then uh, we didn't have those fancy lunch boxes and those plastic things that freeze to keep your lunch cold all day. And so I'd take it out of the refrigerator the very last minute, wrap it in tin foil, hoping that was going to um, make my soda stay cold all throughout the day. It never did. But in my, my mind as a kid, I thought it would. My mom always sent me prepared for my field trips, and it was always more than enough for me, but it certainly wasn't enough to feed everybody on the bus, let alone 5,000 people. And whether this boy made his own lunch or whether his mom helped him pack it, we don't know, but we, what we're led to believe is that he's the only one that day that brought his lunch. He's the only one that came prepared to be out there for a while. Seems odd to me that he's the only one, but there he is, one in likely well over 10,000. This boy had no idea what was about to happen. When he left his home that day, Jesus taking his little lunch and multiplying it to feed thousands would have never crossed his mind. It would have never been a thought. And John tells us that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to use this boy's lunch. And he takes that small lunch and he gives thanks to God and he divides it up into 12, 12 portions and the disciples take each one of those portions and start to pass it out. And the Bible tells us that everyone ate until they were full. This summer I had the privilege of going with the high schoolers to Hume Lake for summer camp. Fantastic time. I love, I love summer camp. It's a, an awesome uh, place. Hume is a beautiful uh, uh, lake up in the middle of nowhere. I really don't even know where it's at because I don't have to drive. I just get to sit. And, but uh, we're up there with about 1,000 students. The high, schoolers, uh, the high school side of the camp, there's about 1,000 a, a or so students that come. And there's probably about 200 more workers that are there. And uh, a couple of mornings I got up to go sit by the lake and just get some quiet time on my own and I sat out by the, the uh, cafeteria area and what I noticed was that every morning uh, a semi-truck would drive in. And it got me thinking about all of the, all, what it takes to run that camp. From the t-shirt sales to the dorms to the speakers to the activities and all of that. But the one thing that kind of stood out to me was the food and how much food gets trucked into this camp for 1,200 people. Every day, several trucks roll into that camp and offload food 
to feed those 1,200 kids. The coordination of those meals and the food deliveries, it's a major function. We know that they had about, we know that they had at least 12 baskets there that afternoon. One for each of the disciples. Imagine how many truckloads of food came out of those 12 baskets. Not just a small handful. Not just a few pallets on this platform. Truckloads. Every time they reached into the basket, there was more food. When we take time to prepare our day, Jesus can take what we've prepared and he can multiply it to meet, the, meet, to meet needs in ways that we could never imagine. What I think is so cool is that he invites us to participate in the miracle with him. I want to be prepared like this boy if Jesus should come and ask for my lunch. I want to be found following Jesus and ready if and when Jesus needs what he's entrusted to me. And that might literally look like a lunch or maybe a couple of dollars or maybe a smile or a hello to somebody who's lonely. This young boy was following Jesus and he trusted him. And he was willing to give what he had for Jesus to use however he wanted. The last question is this. Am I willing to give what I have? This boy likely didn't think he had much I don't know if you've ever felt that way, right? You feel like you step into something like, I don't have what it takes to get this done. I don't have the, the skills or the resources or the things that I need to accomplish what I, I need to do. God, I only have just this little bit. What good would that do? I imagine this boy had to be pretty young to think that his lunch was going to impact all of these people. You might be here this morning thinking, what do I have that Jesus would want to use? Jesus can take whatever it is that you have, whatever resources that you've got, he can take that, big or small, and he can multiply it to fulfill his purposes. He can take the very small act of kindness, a task of, the small task of helping your neighbor with something, or literally using your lunch for the day to multiply it to meet a huge need. In someone else's life are you willing to give what God has placed in you it's not about what you give that Jesus is really looking for right it's not the lunch from this boy that Jesus is asking for what Jesus is looking for is that willingness to say yes when Jesus asks the story isn't about the amount of people that are fed that day the story isn't about the amount of food that it would have taken to feed them all. The story is about what is possible when we follow Jesus. The story is about what is possible when we trust him and that we're willing to give him what we have. In Luke 1.37, the angel Gabriel declares, for nothing is impossible with God. If Jesus can take this young boy's lunch and multiply it to feed thousands of people, imagine what he can do with the resources that he's entrusted to you and to me. Am I willing to give Jesus what I have? Pineapple and banana moments are the little miracles that can bring us hope 
They're the little miracles that can help us focus on Jesus. It's often these kinds of moments that reassure our faith when we face more serious or dire situations. They are the moments that can help us hold on when we're up against seemingly impossible odds. And like the psalmist in Psalm 77, I'm encouraging you this morning to recall those times. Recall the times that God has brought you through. Pause and ask him to show you those moments where he was there. Draw near to him as James 4, 8 encourages us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The day on, that day on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was teaching his disciples in the crowd who he was and that he was from God. And Jesus desires to reveal himself to you and to me today and he invites us to truly know him. Jesus invites us to a personal relationship with him. The creator of the universe, the one that holds it all together, the one who put it all together is inviting us. Will you follow? Will you trust him? Will you prepare? Will you give him what you have today? In John chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, the story ends with this. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. The disciples had the 12 baskets. Each of them took a portion of this boy's lunch. And every time they reached into that basket, there was more food. With God, nothing is impossible. You will never reach the bottom of his basket. Pineapple and banana moments, they happen. Do you trust him? Are you prepared? Are you looking for him to move in miraculous ways? This morning, if you'll oblige me I would love for you to just to close your eyes for just a moment as we've reflected on a few of the miracles in our lives you might be thinking of some of those now but what I'd like you to do is just to take your hands and put them out in front of you like you're holding something and in this moment I'd like you just to kind of think just think about what it what it is that, what is it that you have Maybe it's a talent, uh, maybe it's a, a, a gifting that you have, maybe your occupation, you have resources within your occupation, maybe it's your possessions, maybe it's, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a lunch. What do you have? And you might even be sitting here thinking, I don't have much, I don't have a lot. But it's not about what's in your hand. As much as it's about, are you willing to give him everything? Are we looking for God to move? Are we looking for those moments? He's inviting us to participate with him in bringing about a miracle. Whether that's in your own life or in a life of someone around you. Heavenly Father, you've entrusted us with so much. And God, I'm so grateful that you take even the little that I have and you multiply it to meet 
the purposes that you have for them. And Lord, this morning, Lord, I'm so grateful for all of the things, all the times that you've stepped in. I'm grateful for the pineapple and banana moments in our, in our life. And you've shown yourself in so many ways and so many different times. And Lord, today, with what I have in my hands, what I symbolically am holding here today, Lord, I give it back to you for you to use however you want. Use what we have. Lord, use what we have to impact each other for your glory. Use what we have to impact our neighbors for your kingdom. Use what we have to impact Turlock and the surrounding cities for your glory, for your purposes. We ask these things in your name. Amen.